0: Our text words this morning you can find in Genesis 7, verse 16b. Only these words, and the Lord shut him in. With God's help, we want to look with you at the theme, the door of the ark. You will see that theme in three thoughts. First, an open door. Second, an entered door. And third, a closed door, the door of the ark, an open door, an entered door, a closed door. Last time we looked at Genesis, we considered God's great sorrow and grief at the sin that abounded in society as recorded in the first eight verses of Genesis 6. We saw that human sin was so extensive that it permeated marriage, that it corrupted the minds of men, and that it spread itself throughout society. Even to the point that God said, it grieves me, it fills me, the original word means, with indignant rage that I have even made man. God repented that he had made man. Our God congregation is a jealous God. He is jealous of his own honor. And he is grieved when we persist in a lifestyle of sin grieving him. And yet in the midst of this grief, God had also promised that the Messiah would be born. He had said that not only to Adam and Eve, but he had worked that through the line of Seth. And we saw in our recent expositions of Genesis that the children of Seth, who represented the church, the godly line, were now mingling with the children of Cain, who represented the evil world and that it was this, in particular, that grieved the heart of God. And yet in all God's grief, when the church mixes with the world, the parallels are obvious today, aren't they? God still remembers mercy, and he finds one man upon whom to continue his line of promise through his family, We read in Genesis 6, verse 8, that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God worked in Noah's heart, and God caused Noah to seek him and to find him, to find his grace. In wrath, God remembers mercy. And so we find this astonishing thing that in the midst of God's anger and grief and sorrow over the church mixing with the world, in this very context, the little precious word grace, verse 8, is used the very first time in the Bible. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God determines how to show Noah and his family his grace. That grace will be manifested through a miraculous way of building an ark and preserving Noah and his family, boys and girls, in that ark while the rest of society is destroyed. And so when we make the transition from verse 8 to 9 in Genesis 6, we see that there is a new section, a new distinct unit in the book of Genesis that comes before us. These are the generations of Noah. Now perhaps you recall that when we began our study of Genesis, we said to you that there are 11 distinct units in the book of Genesis, all beginning with the words, in the beginning or the generations. Such expressions, these are the generations or the book of the generations, divides Genesis into 11 units. And with each unit, God pursues a particular theme. And so here he begins his theme of the generations of Noah and his covenantal grace continued through the line of the family of Noah. Now, Noah was a very different man than the rest of mankind around him. The sovereign grace of God made Noah different. There was a radical division between him and everyone else, every other family on the earth. Noah feared God, while everyone else forgot God. And in verse 9, we read three wonderful things about Noah. First we read, Noah was a just man. That means, of course, that Noah was someone whom God justified. We read that, of course, in verse 8. By implication, Noah found grace. The righteousness of Christ was imputed to him, so he was made just, righteous in God's sight. But it also means that he acted righteously. You can find that in verse 1 of the next chapter, verse 7. Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. So a righteous person is someone who, being justified by God, lives righteously, aims to obey and to please God. So Noah is someone who acts justly before God and before men. He treats others fairly. He lives, he acts, he speaks righteously. But secondly, we read of Noah that he was perfect in his generations. Now the word perfect here doesn't mean sinless, boys and girls, but it means to be free of every major blemish. Noah had no noticeable blot on his character. This is the same word that was used of sacrificial animals when they were free of blemish. Noah was a godly man. Just as Saul stood physically, head and shoulders above his generation, so Noah spiritually and morally stood head and shoulders above his generation. There was a kind of completeness about Noah, much as there was about Job. Uh, Remember, God said of Job that he was also a perfect man. Well, that that means there's a well-rounded obedience before God and man. Noah and Job and Enoch and people like that kept themselves unspotted from the world. Noah was perfect in his generations. And then thirdly, we read in verse 9, Noah walked with God. You recall when that expression was used, the chapter before about Enoch, that we said walking with God involves really three things. Walking with God involves delighting ourselves in the company of God. You walk with those with whom you delight to be. Secondly, to walk with God is a determination to go in the ways of God. If I walk with God, I am resolved to fear and to obey the Most High. And thirdly, to walk with God is to detest anything that will take me away from God. So this is this man, Noah, a godly man, who walks with God, whose delight whose determination, whose detestation surrounds the things of God. And to this man, God gives a commission. Verses 13 and 14. God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. So God commands this just, blemish-free man to build an ark. And the ark was to be the means by which God would continue his promised seed, his covenantal line, his superabounding grace through the Noah, through the family of Noah. And what a tremendous task this was for Noah. God gives him the description God gives him the, the, the measurements. 450 feet long. Boys and girls, that's one and a half football field lengths. 450 feet long, 80 or 75 feet wide, and 45 or 46 feet high. Noah must build this huge ark. And high in the ark, he is to make windows. And in one side of the ark, God says, you are to put a door of entrance. What a task! Can you imagine Noah receiving this command from the Lord to build such a structure? Sometimes when a carpenter has a very big house to build, He thinks ahead of time, it's going to take me a long time to build this house. But here is this large ark, the size of scores of homes. And Noah sets out to build what God commands him. Four times we read that, didn't we? In Genesis 6 and Genesis 7, Noah does what God commands him to do. This is a man, a just man, who walks with God. He obeys God. He begins to build. He begins to build one day at a time, and he builds for 120 years, boys and girls. Can you imagine that? Longer than we live. He's building, and he's building, and he's building the ark of God. Now, we read in 1 Peter, 1 Peter, or rather 2 Peter 2 verse 5, that all these years, Noah is a preacher of righteousness. So while Noah is building, he doesn't forget the people. But while he's building, and the people no doubt come around him and ask him what in the world he's doing, he preaches to them. He tells them there's going to be a flood. He warns them, God is going to destroy this society for its wickedness, by a great flood. And the only way to be safe, and then he invites them, of course, is to come and to be in the ark that he is building. So Noah preaches righteousness. He preaches the unrighteousness of man, and he preaches the righteousness of the Messiah to come and the way of salvation in the promised seed. He says to the people, this is God's ark. I'm not doing this on my own. God has commanded me to build this ark. I am only the builder. God is the designer. They say, well, I, well, Noah, why do you make it so big? Well, Noah says, God wants all the animals, two of every kind, seven of the clean, to come onto this ark. And God has given me the description. God has given me the measurements. This is God's ark. So for 120 years, Noah condemns in word and deed the society in which he lives. He announces its pending doom, both by the spoken word and by the act of building the ark itself. Noah speaks also through his hammer blows, Every blow of the hammer, every board he cut, Noah is declaring God's warning and God's invitation. And no matter how much he was ridiculed and persecuted and challenged, Noah went on building. Boys and girls, you can imagine people came by Noah and they laughed at him. They said, Noah... What are you doing making such a big boat? On dry land! Would you like to deepen your understanding of Reformed Theology? Check out Reformed Systematic Theology, Volume 4, Church and Last Things by Dr. Joel Beakey and Paul Smalley. This book will lead you to explore key scripture topics from biblical, doctrinal, experiential, and practical perspectives. Order the culmination of Dr. Beakey's life's work at heritagebooks.org slash RST4. You can predict almost, can't you, the the kinds of jokes that they would throw in, in Noah's face. Where are you going to launch your boat, Noah? Who's going to be captain of your ship, Noah? Where are you going to find the manpower to man your ship, Noah? What are you doing, Noah? But Noah keeps on preaching. He keeps on building. He keeps on working. Like Athanasius, like Luther, like John Knox, like Charles Spurgeon. The fear of God means more to him than the fear of man. He's willing to be a solitary saint. He's willing to walk a lonely road if only he might be faithful to God. And what a lesson, what a lesson Noah has to teach us to persevere, boys and girls, young people, to persevere in obedience to God even when you get persecuted by your peers, to do what is right. And just to walk with God, to build, to testify with our words and with our actions, no matter what people say about us or to us or how they joke with us or mock with us. We must walk with God. Now, after 120 years, the ark is finished. And there it stands. Picture it, boys and girls, with me. The largest ship in all the world ever built to this very day, standing on dry ground, standing with one door open, a wide door, a door big enough to receive elephants and giraffes, a door that is spacious and free and wide, a door that is preached about by Noah, You can see Noah almost, can't you? Standing and pointing to the people as they mock him. No, there you must go. You must go into the ark. You see, the door is open. But soon God will shut it. Soon your day of salvation will be passed. Soon there will be no hope anymore. God will send a flood upon the earth. So Noah preached for 120 years. Noah did not see one convert in 120 years. He began with seven supporters, his own family. He ended with seven supporters, his own family. And yet he preached on for 120 years. That takes grace, congregation. A few weeks ago in Wales, then the opening speaker at the conference where I was at was from Cyprus. He was working with the Uh, the Cyprian Islamic people. And he told us that though a few people had been converted under his ministry in the last 18 years, he'd been there 18 years, people from Iran, a few people from Iraq, would come over, sat under his ministry for a while, been converted, returned to their lands. But he said not one single Islamic person from Cyprus had been converted. In 18 years. He said. I have five more years to go. Before I reach the age of retirement. Will you pray with me. That God will save. These Islamic. Cyprian people. 18 years. But 120 years. And Noah preached on. You see, Noah believed in God. Hebrews 11, verse 7 puts it so beautifully. Why Noah could preach on. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is, by faith, you see, Noah believed that those who would be on God's side would be in the majority, no matter how much they were in the minority from man's perspective. Remember that story I told you, boys and girls, in Nigeria of the deceased Reverend El when he saw an old rickety truck going down the mission field road and it said, painted on the side of the truck, God plus one equals Majority. That's how Noah lived. He believed, if God be for us, who shall be against us? And so he preached on, and he prayed on, and he worked on for 120 years. Well, still today, God comes to us. The door of the ark is still open, congregation. And God calls to us, still today, through the preaching of His Word, that He has provided an ark of safety in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we are called to flee into this ark. No matter how few flee with us, we are called to flee from the wrath to come. God has an open door. And as long as we are alive, dear children, dear friends, dear seniors, as long as you are alive, God calls us to flee to the open door of the ark. Now, God didn't write above the door of the ark. This, this, this ark is reserved for Noah and his family. God didn't say only Noah and his wife and his sons and his son-wives may enter here. Noah preached that everyone may go through the open door, look unto me. All ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved. For I am God, and there is none else. That's what God preaches to us still today. So still today, the message of the gospel comes to us. The same message Noah preached. That there is a way of salvation from the flood of God's wrath that is coming on the great day. That will destroy our world and burn it as with burning fiery flame. God writes over the door of his ark, Come unto me, ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is a faithful saying and worthy to be accepted of all that Christ Jesus came into the world to seek and to save sinners of whom I am chief. So Noah points to this wide, spacious, door. He tells the people that there is room for them in his ark. There is room for you, sinner, in the ark of God. While you say, but I thought the door was narrow. I thought the Bible says the way is straight and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. Well, that is true, of course, from our side. If we aim to present to God our righteousnesses and our works, then the gate is indeed narrow. We cannot pass through this door with anything we accomplish. Our righteousness is not pleasing to God. But from God's side, the door is spacious. The door is wide. And no naked sinner crying for mercy Leaning on Christ's righteousness has ever found this door too narrow. And all kinds of creatures go into this door. The clean animals. The unclean animals. So there is... Room in place. There's, it's a symbolism here, isn't there? There's room in place for all kinds of people in the ark of God's safety in Jesus Christ. Room for Jews and Gentiles, for slaves and for free, room for young and for old, room for all kinds of people. Noah built this door in the side of the ark. Symbolically, That too even points to Jesus. In the side of Jesus, the soldier pierced our precious Savior with a spear. And out of his side flow blood and water, symbolic of justification and sanctification. Symbolic of the salvation of his people. On the cross, Jesus from his pierced side opens a door to heaven. Opens a door of forgiveness for sinners. And so sinners may be saved by Jesus. But the tragedy, the tragedy of all this, is that the vast majority, you see, don't believe Noah's words. They don't believe that a flood will even come. They say, where is the sign of His coming? You've been building Noah for 120 years, and where is the flood? And so today, the vast majority of people, and perhaps many even among us, don't really believe in their heart of hearts that Jesus Christ is coming on the clouds. And that we must be born again. That we cannot go on separated from Him. That we must believe the gospel. That we must repent before the Lord Jesus Christ. That we must enter the ark of God's provision. Thank you for listening to Doctrine for Life with Dr. Joel Beakey. If you were encouraged by this episode and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing and sharing with a friend. To enjoy more resources from the pen and pulpit of Dr. Beakey, please visit joelbeakey.org.